prayer, and then we'll start walking through. God, thank you for an opportunity to talk about the resurrection. Uh, Thank you for the abundance of evidence that you have left us. God, would we be convinced by it and living in light of it? It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, two biblical texts I want us to look at tonight on the case for the resurrection. I want to make a case for the resurrection, uh, and then towards the end, I'm going to try to walk through a lot of material, but I'm going to try to walk through it fairly quickly because at the end, I actually have an article that somebody drafted and put into a newspaper that I want you to use some of the evidence from tonight to debunk um, their article. So that's what I'm hoping to, to get to, um, but, and allow some time for some questions as well. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen is a biblical reminder that it all hinges on the resurrection. Paul says, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And Christ's resurrection is the key to our resurrection. And he says, if there is no resurrection in store for us, then we're to be pitied above all men. Um, The resurrection is the miracle upon which the gospel hangs. Um, If there is no resurrection, there is no risen Savior. If there is no risen Savior, we are dead in our sins. Um, And that's 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection is necessary for Christianity to be true. Um, to do to walk through a case for the resurrection, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 15 in a few minutes, but I also want to flip over predominantly to Luke 24. I'm going to rotate between Luke 24 today and 1 Corinthians 15. So flip over to Luke 24. Um, somebody remind me of how Luke writes. Each of the gospel writers have a different style or a different uh, slight agenda as they present Christ. Uh, They present him slightly differently. How does Luke try to compile his account? Does anybody remember? If not, you can look over in Luke chapter 1, but do you remember? He's a doctor, so it's as most as scientific as they can back then. Scientific approach. And he's writing, okay, somebody else? Theophilus. He's writing to Theophilus. Okay, so he's writing to somebody, trying to compile a historically accurate narrative. As much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, as those from the beginning where eyewitnesses, ministers of the word have been delivered to them, it seemed good to me having followed all things closely to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Luke is trying to compile a historical picture of what Christ did. Um, And in Luke 24, we have the record of the resurrection. So I'm going to read, talk, explain and walk through, and then we're going to get to some evidences for the resurrection in a couple of minutes. But you're welcome to just kind of, this is rapid fire of, of things I observe from the text. All right, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Okay, notice what they're going to the tomb to do. 
They're not going to find a body that is alive. They are going to the tomb with spices prepared in advance. And here's what they find. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord. Okay? It's on Christ had been crucified on Friday, the Jewish background that they had, the disciples rested on Saturday, the Sabbath. And then his female followers show up to treat his body, body with further love and respect. And from other gospel stories, we know that the guards were there. My guess is they were going to plan on asking the guards nicely to remove the rock um, so that they could go in and, and take care of the body. But they and do the customary thing. His body had been wrapped up in strips of clothes, the way that we might picture a mummy. Um, but there's no need to ask the guards to move the stone. There's no mention of where the guards are, by the way. In Matthew's account, we find that they're likely on their way to the religious authorities to say, uh-oh, the tomb, it's empty. Like that thing that you told us to guard were the tough guys that got to guard. I mean, you know, we're, we're the tough guys guarding the tomb so that nobody comes in and steals the body. Uh, we failed. Okay. That, that is not like, you know, for those of you with military backgrounds, like you're, you're left to guard the prisoner and then you get to go and report that the prisoner escaped and you don't know how he got out. Or, or your version of the story is, well, there was this earthquake and then some angels came. Yeah, yeah, that's going to go really well for your commanding officer, okay? So, you know, it doesn't look good on them, but they're not going to be prosecuted in court. And by the way, their, their story is like, hey, while we were sleeping, that guy you told us to guard while we were sleeping, what are you doing sleeping? I thought you were guarding him, Okay. There, there's all sorts of bad things going around about these guards. Okay? But they uh, didn't come up with the sleeping. Right. The, yeah. Those who, the, yeah, but the, that's what, what they, they were supposed to tell others. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're fear the Roman soldiers. We fall asleep on the job. <laughs> I mean, you know, like how implausible is it? Like if they executed the guys, maybe it would have been plausible to say they fell asleep and let somebody steal the body. But to let them circulate the story of, we fell asleep on the job and let a prisoner escape, and now we're still living to tell about it. Okay, bad cover-up. Okay. All right, we get to verse 2. The stones rolled away. The guards aren't present. The ladies go in. They're not, you know, they're, Jesus isn't there. They find the tomb rolled, the stone rolled away. Nobody, nobody was there. Pun for the fun of it. Okay. They were perplexed about this. They didn't immediately get it. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. Peter went home marveling but still not necessarily believing. They are not believing, which I think is an important thing for us. Um, I got one other text. 
come see the place where he lay in Matthew. Go quickly and tell his disciples, and behold, he's going before you. You'll see him. See, I've told you they departed from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to the disciples, and Jesus greeted them there. Okay? So the concept of the, the tomb, what's going on at the tomb, they head back to the apostles, they tell the men, and we see the women named. And these are ladies that were close followers of Christ. And we get to verse 11, the apostles seem to think it's a myth. Their first reaction is not, oh yeah, we, of course we remember. It's like, oh no, it's a myth. Like, what have you, what have you seen? Clearly, can't be trusted. So they have to see it for themselves. So Peter runs off to the tomb. He looks in. Sure enough, no Jesus, just some grave clothes. And John, in John's gospel, describes the grave clothes as being folded neatly. John describes that in the grave clothes laying there, the face clothes not lying with the others, but folded up in a place all by itself in John 20 or 7. So they had to see it. The strips of clothing are a strange thing to be there. I mean, if you were going to steal a body, you don't start unwrapping the mummy before you take it out. And if you do, you probably don't fold the face cloth. Like you just, it would look like my kids when they're taking their clothes off. You know, wherever they take their clothes off is where they land. They don't get folded. Right? But the face cloth seems to be folded right it was grave robbers they probably would have taken the body away from there and never unwrapped it i mean imagine the smell they hadn't put all the nice spices on it yet okay so this just doesn't the the wrappings being there is a significant detail that we can look at and say was likely actually the case okay there's no good explanation for them being folded neatly unless jesus was risen from the dead and this was a sign of his conquering death and miraculously rising So Peter ends, verse 12, contemplating. He isn't worshiping. He's not in total disbelief, but he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know what to think. He's marveling. He's going, hmm, and thinking. He doesn't know the significance of it. And before we go on in Luke 24 to the Jesus' appearance to the disciples at Emmaus, I want to pause and I want to give some stuff over from 1 Corinthians 15 on why I think that the resurrection actually happened. Uh, some of the things we've already seen hinted at here. Um, and, and make the statement that I've made multiple times before, and you've heard me say numerous times, that the Christian faith is a reasonable faith. And I think that the resurrection is the best explanation for what actually happened on that Easter Sunday. Right? I think it's the best explanation. Um, some of you have heard lots of this before. Some of you can add to this. Others... This is newer, at least from me. Um, but go back to the resurrection. Go back to be convinced of it. And even as a pastor, there's times that I'm like, all right, I'm a, I got to go back. The resurrection occurred. Yes, the resurrection actually occurred. It is the abundance of evidence. The resurrection occurred. It is all true. It all hinges there. Go back to the resurrection. Be convinced of it. And then proceed from there. Okay. If the resurrection is true, everything else in the Bible matters. If the resurrection isn't true, the rest of the Bible doesn't matter. The resurrection from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 perspective. I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, 
though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And this is Paul. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that Jesus appeared to his closest followers. So some versions of what else happened with Jesus. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you got to have another story. So what else might have happened? Right? What else might have happened? Well, some would say there was a stunt double. Okay? It was just Jesus' twin brother that nobody ever knew about that just tricked people. But if anybody was going to spot a difference, it was his closest followers that would know that this wasn't somebody else. This wasn't a stunt double. Okay? It was his closest followers. Jesus, uh, Paul says Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at once. All right? And this is different time from when he appeared to other select groups. Jesus appeared to select groups multiple times. But if you've ever watched like Ghost Hunters or something like that, I don't watch those shows because I think they're weird. Um, but like from what I understand on TV and from the pre- previews of them, like, you know, they don't ever get 500 people to get the same ghost that pops up. Okay? So if, if it was just a, like, a few people being deceived or somebody being like, you know, my, my loved one, like, one person sees them, then a couple weeks later somebody else has a similar vision but different time. But mass hallucination events are pretty rare, particularly with 500 people. And what Paul says is, listen, there's 500 plus people, many of whom are still alive. If you want to be convinced of the resurrection, just talk to them. They saw the same stuff. Like it wasn't one person seeing one thing and somebody else seeing something else. And that's not knowing. No, 500 people at one time knew that it was the risen Jesus. That's pretty clear. Like in the court of law, you bring in one or two witnesses that saw the same thing. That, that's fairly convincing. You got 500 people bring into the court of law. I saw the risen Savior at the same time. We all saw it. That's, that's an abundance of evidence. Like, it, you just don't toss that one out. Multiple sightings, okay, mass hallucination is about, is about the only way to come around to this one. And mass hallucination is actually where a few people go um, with this one. That This was a mass hallucination event um, is how they deny the 500. The Gospels in 1 Corinthians. The, the other alternative is that, well, you know, these things were written much, much later. But the reality is 1 Corinthians, by most scholars' accounts, is written about two decades after the resurrection. That's not that long um, afterwards for the development of the gospel, for myths and legends or anything like that. And some of the original witnesses are still alive. All right. Uh, Another event that makes it pretty certain that the resurrection did occur, when Paul mentions James, the brother of Jesus, I don't know if I gave you the, the details on this one. Um, did I tell you why that's significant? If not, I'm going to make you guess. Why is it significant that James, the brother of Jesus, is now vouching for his res- resurrection? Yeah, he wasn't a believer before. And again, if anybody knew what Jesus was like, it was probably his brother. And in his life before death, James was not a follower. And then he becomes the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. He obviously had had something happen to him for him to be convinced that his brother rose from the dead. His family rejected him, and then he becomes a follower. All right, some other changes that occur in Jesus' followers as they move from this. uh, Remember, in their earthly side of things, they were nationalistic. They were all about the Jews. Let's strike down those Samaritans. Like, 
and they become a fearless, they become a passionate, they become a missions movement inside of a generation. They face torture, they don't recant, okay? Cultural background things. When did Jesus' original followers worship before the resurrection? Saturday, okay? Their whole life, you worshiped on Saturday. It was the Sabbath. Shortly after the resurrection, they begin to worship on Sunday. There's clearly something significant about Sunday. If they wanted to start a movement from within Judaism, you would have just left it on the same day. Why not make it easy? But they didn't make it easy. They shifted the day. Jesus' original followers were good Jews that had regularly repeated their entire life, multiple times a day, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And now they have to articulate the version of the Trinity that we find difficult to articulate today. The fact that they're worshiping Jesus as Lord means that something happened. This, again, is not an easy shift from Judaism. This isn't a sect of Judaism. They were strict monotheists developing the concept of the Trinity and worshiping Jesus as God's son. Though today, starting a new religion might yield you some version of power and be lucrative if you can make it enough of the prosperity gospel. There wasn't like a prosperity gospel that they were proclaiming, and it wasn't particularly lucrative or prestigious to start a new religion. Okay? They had a lot to lose by creating a new religion, not a lot to gain. And... Their religious change, therefore, was likely based upon what they believed about Jesus and his resurrection, okay? The development of the Lord's Supper and baptism as Christian symbols only makes sense in light of the resurrection. Buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life is the language that we use. And baptism as a Christian symbol only makes sense if there's a resurrected Savior, few other things that answer some common objections. Uh, and one of I think your article is about the, the tomb and just the concept of the fact that there was a tomb and it was in a known location close to the city of Jerusalem, not way outside on the backside of nowhere. Um, but Jesus was buried in a known tomb. This wasn't some obscure place that they laid his body that nobody was going to visit, nobody knew about. All right, the rumor that was spread by the authorities, their Let's make up a story. Version is that somebody stole his body, not that they went to the wrong tomb. Um, so it's pretty certain, like, that they didn't just go to the wrong tomb. Also, that the, the story was that they don't know the body's actually there. Just yeah. Just a different body and throw it in there. Maybe, no, that's the one. Right. Yep. Next point. There was nobody ever found. Like, all that the authorities had to do to put the movement to death was produce a body of some sort. And, and yet... That didn't occur. Um, Some would say, well, Jesus actually did come out of the tomb. It really was Jesus, but he didn't die, which I find just totally unthinkable. Okay, So Jesus was buried because he died. You don't put not dead bodies in a grave. And I understand that, uh, that medical technology has come a long ways. But I know that professional executioners were pretty good at their job. And that 
what we see happening with Christ at the hands of professional executioners, both before and after the cross, or on the cross before and on the cross, was not likely to result in him coming out of the grave three days later on his own power and folding up his grave clothes. That would be the benefit to him anyway. So he can never be show himself in public because if James sees you or something like that, like you're, or the authorities find you, you just roll things over anyway. No right. So it is preposterous that a professional executioner didn't actually kill him and then that you gave him no medical care, food, or water for a couple of days and then he came out of the, out of the tomb like better. Yeah, unwrapped himself and folded up his clothes in his recovery. I mean, this is more, that would be more miraculous than your kid, like, recovering from his sick bug that gets him back to school, you know. I mean, just, hey, I'm sick. Oh, yeah, you don't have to go to school. Can I play video? Oh, yeah, I'm better now. (laughs) I mean, it's just preposterous that someone that the Roman authorities thought was dead doesn't receive medical care and comes back three days later. I would say it's a much bigger stretch that Jesus wasn't dead than Jesus actually rose from the dead. From Luke 24, the first people there were women. And in that day, most say, most scholars say that women were either not at all credible or not highly credible as witnesses in the court event. A male's vote sometimes to solidify the woman's perspective. It would be the worst possible witness you could come up with. Especially if you try to convince Jews at the time. Yeah. Like, my version of retelling the story is if I'm making up a lie, like, if I were to come up here today and say, listen, there is a purple dinosaur wandering down the hallway of the preschool. Pastor Jason, how do you know it? Well, a three-year-old little girl told me. Pastor Jason, are you really sure that there's a purple dinosaur wandering the halls? Maybe she was deceived. No, I'm going to die on that statement that there is a purple dinosaur wandering the halls of the preschool because a three-year-old told me. Like, that's just not the way that you make up a lie. Simon or Paul or somebody would say it was them. You you want the credit for being the first one to do it? Yeah. And, And, again, in Luke 24, remember what did Peter not do immediately? He didn't believe immediately. It doesn't look really good when the Pope didn't believe. Like, if you're going to start a movement, the, the dude that's going to be the leader of it ought to be the first believer, not the last one. You know, not to say he's the last, but he ought to have believed. He ought to have been at the tomb, like, you know, kicking the butt of the guards and getting them out of the way to help, you know, Jesus out. Like, the Gospels do not paint a good picture of the leaders, even after the resurrection. All right, I pulled some of these from a variety of different sources. A couple of books I'll recommend for you. They're, they're listed later. Tim Keller has a book called Hope in Times of Fear. It gives some popular level evidence for the resurrection. It really talks more about the significance of the resurrection, and I probably am not going to get a lot of time on that tonight. Um, the second book, pretty scholarly work, The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. That's a pretty weighty work. Um, if I'm remembering right, 500, 600 pages, pretty hefty scholarly look um, if you want to look more seriously at it from a scholarly standpoint interaction with other sources ancient material the culture of Christ's day that's a good one and then i believe i gave you strobel's book the case for christ i think or the case for faith um, both of those are good and, and similar kind of a journalistic look okay um 
I did not watch the seven-hour debate on this. If you want to pay for it and find it, there is a seven-hour debate by Bart Ehrman from uh, North Carolina as a now atheist who, is a, who studies Christianity. So I first wrote Christian scholar who is an atheist, and I was like, no, that's the wrong way to do it. An atheist scholar who studies Christianity. Um, and uh, Lincona, Matt Lincona, I believe is his name, um, Lincona and Ehrman debate the resurrection evidence for what's most likely to have occurred, what's not likely to have occurred. Uh, it was a March debate, uh, and it's behind a paywall, and it's a seven-hour debate. So I did not do that, but I read the Cliff Notes version of some others on it. Um, and it seems like they agreed on a lot of stuff. Uh, essentially, what they agreed with is that Jesus of Nazareth existed. Both agree that he was crucified around 30 CE. Both agree that after the crucifixion, certain people had experiences. This is what they agree to experiences that they interpreted to be appearances of a resurrected Jesus. They can agree on that. Both agree that belief that occurred was belief in a physical resurrection of Christ, not a spiritual, because that's kind of the, one of the other myths is that, well, it wasn't really a physical resurrection. It was just a spiritual appearing. But even Ehrman, from his perspective, says, no, these people believed they saw a physical resurrected Christ. Okay? Um, and that it was the early church that was believing in the physical resurrection, not a spiritual resurrection. And both agree that certain of those eyewitnesses even died for that belief. Again, if we're making up a lie, and you know it's a lie, like people will die for a lie, but most of the time they won't die for a lie that they know is a lie. They'll die for something that they believe to be truth that is a lie, but to die for a lie that you know is a lie is a, is a rare thing. Okay? The evidence is it went from 500 to across the entire region within yep. a generation. Like, yep. You don't ever see anything historically that's spread like that yeah. in that same manner. Mm-hmm. Um, Ehrman essentially says he denies uh, when Corinthians was written, and that helps him kind of deny uh, the, the 500 to some degree, or he thinks of it as a mass hallucination event. Basically, that's what he comes down to, and he's like, hey, mass hallucination was more likely. And his words, my understanding from that debate were that miracles take, that anything historically needs a preponderance of evidence. That this has a preponderance of evidence for the resurrection, but because it is a miracle, it needs an overabundant preponderance of evidence that is totally unthinkable in any other way. So he just goes with mass hallucination at that point. And that's his alternative explanation is mass hallucination for the 500 or that that part was made up and that the others just appeared to be physical appearances of the resurrected Jesus, which still doesn't answer what actually happened with the body. Like, even if you want to go there, what's your alternative theory? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what happened? Because if it was just a spiritual appearing, where's the body? Why didn't the Romans ever produce one? Why didn't the Jews, in conjunction with the Romans, because they got along for quite a while. Why didn't they ever squash the uprising by saying, well, let's produce the body? There just doesn't seem to be an alternative explanation. Um, So though... Resurrections are miraculous and therefore really, really hard to believe actually occurred. 
in the face of all of the evidence, I think it takes less faith to believe that the resurrection occurred than that it didn't. Okay? So, the rest of Luke chapter 24, the, the followers walk along with Jesus. He reveals himself to them. There's this dialogue that goes on. And the story basically goes that they're like, Jesus, what rock have you been hiding under? Everybody knows that Jesus was crucified. Jesus walks them through a variety of things, teaches them how the whole Bible points to him. If we were going to spend another hour or two on the resurrection, we'd walk through the ways in which the entirety of the Bible do point to a resurrected Savior. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that he died and was buried according to the Scripture, that according to the Scripture, the death and resurrection of Christ occurred. Okay? Um, and... We, we see in Luke 24 that the resurrection wasn't on the radar because they were looking for a different type of king, a different type of Messiah. Um, the resurrection wasn't on their radar because the cross wasn't on their radar. Okay. Um, there, there is thoughts in the, old te- uh, the new temple Jerusalem, that time period of Christ, about a future bodily resurrection for all people but not for like an individual. This wasn't on their radar that uh, somebody would individually rise from the dead, never to die again. Um, and it wasn't on their radar that the Messiah would be crucified and die, much less rise again. This wasn't that they were looking for somebody and they happened to find somebody that met all the criteria. Like what they were looking for is not what they found. If you find what you're looking for, you can fit it. A person into that criteria but Jesus was not what they were looking for so they had to redefine and go back and re-examine the scriptures which again tells us that it's highly unlikely that they made up the resurrection because they wouldn't have made up the cross because that's not what they were looking for what they were looking for was a conquering messiah to set them free from Roman oppression so if a story was going to be made up to get followers, it would probably be made up of someone that conquered at least some Romans and then disappeared. Like, all of the things about the resurrection point to the fact, and the background of it points to the fact that it likely did occur. Um, so, what I would say when we encounter people that are denying the resurrection, some do it simply because they haven't examined the claims. That the number of people that have become convinced of Christianity by looking at the resurrection alone is through the roof. Um, you know, last week I said, in terms of when somebody wants to deny the Bible, ultimately you just encourage them to read the Bible and let the Bible out of its own cage. In terms of the resurrection, you know, if you're checking out Christianity, start there. Because the abundance of, of evidence for it is convincing to so many. And that's why I'm so grateful for God and his grace giving us the most significant miracle of the cross and resurrection with the most significant support for it. Like we got a lot of support for other miracles in the Bible, but 
this isn't one where we're like, well, was the flood worldwide or was it local? How did the water come up? Where's the ark at? Where's all this other stuff? Like, there's an abundance of evidence for that type of stuff too, but like, there's so much more evidence for the cross and resurrection than other stuff, which is vital because it's the thing that is at the center of our faith. Um, so get people to check out the resurrection. Um, and often, sometimes people just don't know about the resurrection um, and haven't studied it enough. But the other reason that I think people reject the resurrection is because they don't want it to be true. And, and what I mean by that is if Jesus did die, and this is kind of down further on your, your page there, if Jesus did die on the cross, if, if he was risen, sorry, if he was risen, that means he died. He can't be risen without dying, okay? If he died and he was powerful enough to rise from the dead, then he probably didn't get to his death accidentally. Okay, the biblical record is that Jesus didn't die because he couldn't help it in terms of physically avoiding it. I mean, he like disappeared other times from their midst early in his ministry. Jesus died volitionally of his own will, surrendered to the Father's will. So if he died... That means it was necessary for him to die. Biblically, if it was necessary for him to die, what was the cause of the necessity of that? It was dying in place of sinners, biblically. So if Jesus rose from the dead, therefore he died. If he died, it was necessary for him to die. Why was it necessary for him to die? Because of sinners. Well, who's the sinners? That's us. Okay? Our sinfulness should persuade us, though, of his love for sinners. And the resurrection ultimately pushes us to respond, but it's a response to our brokenness and the admission of our wrong. The resurrection means that I am so bad that someone had to die for my sins. So accepting the resurrection is an act to to a large degree of confession of sins in the background. That's at stake. Also, the the scriptures tell us that Satan blinds the eyes of those who don't believe. Um, So we pray for the Holy Spirit's leading. That actually happens further in Luke chapter 24. Um, Jesus writes all the, tells them all these things. Moses and the law of prophets must be fulfilled. It's written the Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay into the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then we see Acts part two, or sorry, Luke part two, book of Acts, chapter one, talking about the Holy Spirit coming in power and they become God's witnesses. So to tie a couple of things together from the last few weeks, Jesus shows them how all of the scriptures point to him, all the scriptures being accurate and trustworthy. Jesus tells them that they are to be his witnesses by the power of his spirit is what they go out in to go back to a couple weeks ago with Pastor Jacob's stuff, okay? And then they go out and share the gospel by the power of the spirit and people are converted in the book of Acts. And they worship. So the resurrection demands a response. It demands a response of faithful witness and worship by the power of the spirit. And if you're, And the resurrection points us ahead to when he comes back because he didn't just stay on the earth at this point. He ascended. So even in the resurrection, with him not being on earth now, there is a looking ahead dimension as well. So um, 
I want us to look at Hitchcock's article. I gave you an article. So this is just a response. I tried to find the original column in the faith section that he references by the other author, Aaron Hayes, to kind of like do point one, point two. But instead, let's take Hitchcock's thing where he denies that the resurrection happened. And I want you to use some of the thoughts or your own thoughts from it. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, something like that, five, five minutes or so to read through Hitchcock's article here. You're welcome to mark up after every paragraph what you find flawed in his logic or how you, sitting across the table, would interact with Leonard Hitchcock. All right. You can spend more time on it than we have and find more flaws than we will likely find. Um, does a lot uh, with canonicity, the inclusion of what's in the Bible, and he has some other presuppositions that I think are valuable for us to look at. So, uh, somebody give me a way in which you would respond to anything he said. Give me a little recap of what he said in a particular spot and how you would choose to respond to that. When he talks about the probability of resurrection, the fact that it's a miracle means it goes against probability. So putting if it, if it was probable, then it wouldn't have been a miracle. Yep. So that's like a, you know... You know, it's like saying the Red, the Red Sea could not have parted, therefore it didn't. Correct. Yep. Probability low, therefore couldn't have happened. It, it argues against itself by supposing itself to be true. And he does something else with miracles on the last page. Did you catch what he did with miracles on the last page? Paragraph. Top paragraph. I think this really shows his hand. Because he's trusting a scientific worldview to explain the supernatural. Right? So he doesn't even think they're possible. Yeah. I, I love his arrogance here. Back in the day when people weren't as smart as me, they believed in dumb stuff like miracles. But I'm really smart. You should believe me. People that have arguments, use, they try to use, like, well, science doesn't prove it. It doesn't prove it. Well, I know, because that's what created, God created the universe and the rules. That's beyond yeah. that. You can't, you can't use a science book to try to define this. Right. It's a silly argument. Yeah. Science doesn't prove the existence of your mind either. We're not actually sure it's there. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> Another one that I would use is on the evidence on top of page two, the top yep. one. Is there no, no other evidence? Well, there is. There's other, like, the animals by Tacitus. Yep. Tacitus references a Jesus called the Messiah. There's three or four other early yep. references. There are. So he's... Yep. Very, yep. I, go ahead, Lonnie. The authors of texts are unknown. We know all the uh, authors except for Hebrews. Yeah. There, there's a, a little bit of debate on which John it is, a couple other things. But, yeah, there, there is general consensus on most books not all there there's some discussion but yeah we're, we're in a more conservative camp than he's drinking from here on this one right the right page historians um where he talks about how um the stories have been circulating well but they weren't like solidified that's not true either there's things like the didesh which has early writings before that that have the same we read it i get to talk about even talks about abortion yeah. and other things that this is 60 AD. yeah and that's early and it, they yeah. remain constant I love it. Some of the historical events are corroborated by other ancient documents. Most are not. But hold on. What is not stated here? 
He does not say some of the historical events related in the New Testament are corroborated by other ancient documents, and many of them are refuted by ancient documents. No. Some are corroborated. Others we don't have any evidence for or against. Like, what he doesn't say is fairly important. Evidence, or the Jews, the Jewish elders can find evidence against these things. They would have been, you'd find an entire book on that. Yeah. Anything else that stood out? Well, he writes in the same page that, that in other words, New, New Testament represented the church's effort to put an end to this squabbling and impose beautiful beliefs yeah. on the faithful to create a Christian orthodoxy. Yeah. The books of the New Testament were widely accepted really early on in the yeah. second century. And most of them were widely accepted early. There's been a little bit of squabbling here and there. And, and like the, uh, the apocalypses and the yeah. revelations so like Barnabas yeah. and things but they all agreed on the core ones some added others right um. but also with that is Christianity predated the New Testament right. I mean if you're just attacking the New Testament you have to go okay well account for the change in the, the day of worship account yep. for Peter's you know everybody getting right. murdered you know, yep. account for all the physical, all the changes that happened mm-hmm. because that happened. I mean, the growth of the church, all that was pre-Bible. And the fact of the matter is, New Testament. even after the resurrection and Jesus was not there, what part of the thing that grew the church was they were empowered to do as great things as he did. Without him, they would do miracles. They raised somebody from the dead. Speaking of tongues at Passover, I mean, that was that you had all 12 tribes gathered in Jerusalem, and they all got to see this miracle, and it just spread throughout the known world at the time. Yeah. The thing I would attack most if I was dealing with this gentleman is he makes a lot of statements but provides no examples. And over and over again, he's like, they always do this and everything. But you don't even give me one. Like, give me, give me a point in the Bible that's refuted, or not refuted, that's not corroborated. And and he does the thing where you just instantly, he he might as well said Hitler, but instead he does, it's the communist (laughs) manifesto, you know, just because if I make an outrageous book, you know, I I, I can just say it. It's it's like that because, you know, it's the, uh, you know, I just pick this thing and assume assume it's just like that. But even his statement with that, you, he agrees, certainly it provides evidence of what some Christians believe, not the truth of those beliefs. He would say that the Bible contains evidence of what Christians believe. Well, how did they generate those beliefs then? Like, where did they come from? They just made up stuff that they had no incentive to make up. And the religious leaders, again... You know, for him, all of this happened in like, you know, a couple hundred years and like it's all the fault of the Catholic Church. I mean, why is Peter the bad guy then? I mean, to your point about there needing to be not just a lot of evidence, but like this overabundance of evidence. You know, he says this needs to be accepted. Well, who decides what's enough? Like, I have this. This is enough. Right. Right. Like, where does he need to draw this line? Where does he? And again, let's go back to the question. So what happened then? So I, but I agree with them. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I think we have it. No, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, you're like oh, what else could you need? Yep. But if 
what is his story for what happened with the resurrection? Someone stole the body, it's all made up. Uh-huh. Yeah, where, where's the evidence for anything else? Because he just, he wants to declare what's true. He wants to declare himself what is true. And he, he has a closed universe where it is impossible for anything to happen that defies his own understanding. There is no room for the supernatural for him because now we live in a scientific world. hundred years ago, they didn't believe in an atomic weapon. So therefore science and uh, 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 science today may not be the one no would would know. It's been 200 uh, 200 years since they didn't know that that there are other galaxies out there, right? That was proven not that long ago. So the, the methodological flaw of I did not know it was there so it's impossible for it to be there is the height of arrogance. It is the, if it doesn't make sense to me, it can't be there, which is about like a three-year-old. You can't see me. He has covered his eyes and declared that God cannot see him or intervene in the world. Um, so we need to pray for Mr. Hitchcock and those like him. There will be a moment where he'll get to know and get to take a knee. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I take exception with his all-or-nothing approach. He says, okay, not all Christians were convinced. You know, there's not this unanimity, so therefore yeah. it's not true. Well, then he goes on to say there, there's people who reject naturalism. Well, he believes naturalism, but not everyone does, so it can't be true because not everyone believes it. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. It's very extreme. And, and again, I think that Peter not believing and the disciples not believing early on is actually a sign that it did occur, not that it didn't. Like, some of the things that he talks about, I think you can actually pin him down and say, well, these are actually evidence for the resurrection when you actually consider them. Instead of just repeating them because you saw them on a blog somewhere, as if you can trust everything that you found on the Internet. This guy clearly believes you can everything you believe, everything's reliable. But, like, let's examine this. Um, Let's examine the claims. So, yes, there's lots of ways to debunk. This is a fairly normal way of responding to the resurrection. So I thought it would be a fun way to practice some of our authority of the Bible, canonicity, discussion from last week with resurrection discussion from this week. So, um, But let's wrap up with prayer. And then I'll take questions afterwards for those that don't aren't picking up the kids. God, by the Spirit's power, would you bring... Mr. Hitchcock, to repentance and faith. That, as the scriptures tell us, God, that his mind and his eyes are blinded, his heart is hardened apart from your illumination. So, God, would you bring him to faith as you have so many others that have denied the resurrection but began checking it out? And God, would you allow us to talk about the hope that we have in the resurrection with others. That they might know of what you have done. And that they might trust you for what you have done and will do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.